All right. Father, we thank you for today, and we thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you that you have called us out of darkness, Lord, and delivered us into the kingdom of your beloved Son, Lord, that you have rescued us individually and personally. You have saved us. You have reconciled us to yourself. You have redeemed us. You have become our Lord and our Savior. But Father, we recognize that you didn't just and only save us personally, individually. You saved us to be reconciled with you, but also being reconciled with your people. We were once not a people. We were aliens. We were strangers. We were outside the people of God. We were outside that, that relationship with you. And Lord, by being reconciled with you, we are brought into your people, the church. And so, Father, we thank you that, that we are now not, no longer not a people. We're no longer on the outside, but we are part of your people, the church. And Father, we pray that you would help us to understand what that means. Help us to be the church that you've called us to be. Help us to think about the church it, because of how important it is to you, Lord, as your bride, as your body, as your temple, Lord. Lord, and so we, we pray that you give us, give us eyes to see and hearts to start to, to love, Lord, your people the way that you do. And we do pray that you give us wisdom as we look into your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, good morning. We are starting a new unit. I was, I was, I was telling a couple people that came in, I'm excited. It's been a while. We, um, my, my stack of notes for Doctrine of Salvation was one of our thickest packets. So we took a long time to work through that Doctrine of Salvation. Um, and we're going to now work through this Doctrine of the Church. Uh, the fancy word, if, if you hear PB or someone throw around that term, ecclesiology. It's basically someone sounding fancy for basically just saying the Doctrine of the Church. That's what it means. Ology is a study of, right? Ecclesi is the uh, uh, ecclesia, the Greek word for church. It's a fancy way of saying doctrine of the church, right? And so it's a doctrine of the church. Um, we're going to talk about, come on in. Uh, we're going we're to talk about the church and what, it, what does the Bible say about the church? And, 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 and before I get going, I, 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 I think I did this salvation. I, want, I like to do this. One of my professors did this, and I think it's helpful just to know what people are thinking. Are there questions, when you think about the church, when you think about maybe it's, it's what does the Bible say about the church or differences in the church or different views on, on things with the church or what the church does, uh, are, there, are there questions that you are hoping to have, I don't want to say answered, because I don't know if I'm gonna answer, I can answer everything, but to have discussed that we've looked at um, by the time we're done with this unit, things about the church. Well, if something comes to you, I'll ask again next week. I'll try to remember to ask again next week. And if there, there are things that just, you know, of, of differences in, in different things of the church, maybe even from our discussion this morning on, on some difficult issues, we're going to, um, maybe it'll prompt something and, 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 and we'll bring it out. It's a difficult topic. I would say that even though it's not necessarily, it's not a, if, you, if you're talking about close-handed, open-handed type topics, it's not a close-handed topic in the sense of where there's a lot of things we agree to disagree as, as fellow brothers and Christians in Christ. We talk about the church. It is difficult because probably more than anything that there are so many different views on the church, it gets a little muddy. It gets a, it gets a little difficult. There are faithful biblical churches, 
churches that we love and we fellowship with, churches that maybe you've been a part of, churches that um, your, your family or friends are a part of, that, that, that they do, it's different, right? And, 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 and so it's, if we're going to ask some practical questions, people who confess the same gospel are going to have some very different answers when we start to ask questions about the church. I think more than any other, at least at first glance, theology topic, you're going to get such a diverse view, um, even today, much less in the history of the church, on questions like, what is the church supposed to do and what is the church supposed to believe? I think that there are some things that are a little bit more um, streamlined with those, but then when you start getting to some other questions of um, things like, uh, what do we do when we gather? How does the... How does the church gathering supposed to look like? What day should we meet? Does it have to be on Sunday? Can you meet on Saturday night? Can you meet on, you know, Monday? How, when should you meet? When we meet, are we supposed to all be together? Or can you be a church and not be together? In some ways, that looks like having different services, right? Is, is it still a church if you're having different services so that you're never really together, but you're at least coming to the same place um, during that day of the week? Um, maybe, well, then you take a different, you say, well, if you're having different services, why not just have different places, right? And so you have the popular movement now of the multi-site churches, right? So you have uh, one church that's all over the city and a whole bunch of different, different buildings, right? Well, now multi-site churches have got even more than that and saying, can you have one church that's meeting in different states or across the country? Right? So you have people that would never, ever actually meet each other face-to-face, but they're all still some of the same church because they're watching the same sermon over video together. Um, again, I'm, and, and I want to be careful. Again, I'm saying that th- these are things that good gospel Christians, you know, we just have some differences. And so let's just, there's a lot of different answers to this. Um, there's some uh, that would say, well, yeah, you have different services with different styles. So if you, if you are, are more of a traditional style, if you like your hymns, then you come to this service. And if you want your, uh, you want your Redmond Tomlin Hill song, you go to this service and you have different styles of services, right? Um, how, how, well, how, how do you think that through? Is it just, you know, how do we make those kind of decisions? Um, how do, how do we make decisions in the church, right? Who makes the decisions of the church? Should the congregation make decisions of the church? Should the elders make the decisions of the church? Should the pastors make the decisions of the church? Should committees make the decisions of the church? Right? There's a lot of different churches. You, you guys, have, if we surveyed the room, we probably have all been in different churches where there's been a lot of different decision-making structures, right? Um, and then when you start looking, at that starts to go into structure as a whole. We have Presbyterian structures of churches, and we have Episcopal structures of churches, and we have free structures of churches, Right? And so we, we have a lot of different free, or you could, I guess you could say free and even, you can say congregational possibly here too, um, types of churches. So they have a lot of different um, structures of churches, right? And then, so it basically comes down to this question of what, how do we make these decisions of what the church is supposed to do? And I was going to bring a book, and I didn't. Um, we're going we're gonna to take a lot today out of, of uh, Mark Dever's The Church, The Gospel Made Visible. It's a very introductory church, thinking through the theology of, of, of what the church is. And he's right. He's, he says that over centuries, Christians have answered these questions in a lot of different ways. Probably, again, more, more, than, more differences than probably any other area of theology where there are faithful Christians 
answering these questions in different ways. Gospel-believing, they're not heretics. It's not saying, you know, we have a whole bunch of different views on who Jesus is, right? Well, a lot of those are non-Christian views. These are Christians who have some disagreements and a lot of different views on this. Now, how, how did these decisions make? And I think that if you survey a lot, and, and I, there's, a, there's a good book out there. It's a four views book about, I think it's four views on how the church is structured or church government. And, and, and you start looking at the argument of these different views, and there's more than four, but um, if you look at these four and, and, and you see some themes, right? There's, there's some, I, I should put, actually there's another one in here, I see logical you know, there's some that just say, well, what, what's the logical theme, right? God has given us part, and now we just have to kind of use our logic to figure out what works best for the other parts, right? Is it, do we, do we evaluate these things by what is logical, right? Um, for a lot of people, they, they base this on their tradition, right? Well, this is, this is the tradition of the church. I remember that there was a, uh, uh, um, an Anglican brother who wrote a, a, a um, it wasn't convincing to me, but it was well-reasoned argument on the importance of tradition in the church and the reason why the Anglican structure of the church is what it is. He's saying, it's not biblical, but there is no biblical structure. And so what we need to do is we need to go by tradition. So that, that's his argument for tradition, right? So you look at certain things. Why do we do certain things in the church? It's tradition. Oh, yeah. We yeah. came from a church that almost completely split because they wanted to uh, redo it and put in chairs and uh, some people felt that. Church, okay. It's not a church unless it has pews. There you go. Uh, it's just yeah. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But well, nearly yeah. split the church. Yeah, yeah, and and so we're and, and so how do you how do you make those decisions and what is a church and how do you think about what it means to gather and what does it look? There's, there's, there's some interesting questions. How do you how do you think through those sort of things, right? <clears throat> um, and, and and some of that is tradition. I would say even more what that that brings to is this experience, right? Uh, and I think you know being being a pastor here for ten years and doing membership classes for a lot of years and a lot of questions and doing a lot of pastoral. I think I think that. Most of the issues that people have sometimes with differences or thinking through church, it's because it doesn't measure up with experience. That, I think, is even more than tradition. Um, it's this idea of experience, and that experience might be an extrinsic experience, right? This experience of, this is what church has always been for me. I have always done this in church, and so if the church doesn't do this, I grew up doing this then it's not really church, or it's not the right church, or it's not my right church. Now, sometimes it's an intrinsic, right? I, I would say that you start looking maybe um, more in, in, in the recent uh, years and decades and generations, it's more of an intrinsic experience, right? Here's what I feel like church should be. The church is not necessarily, I'm not looking for a certain church structure, but I'm looking for a church to produce certain intrinsic feelings of experience, and so you look at it, 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 this idea of experience starts to, to dictate some of these choices. Um, some would say, you know, it's just based on what the leadership says. If the leadership says this is what we should do, well, we're supposed to follow and obey our leaders, right? So maybe it's, the, we're, it's really up to the leadership. And if there's different people God has called and gifted, I remember that there was one, um, one guy who made an argument, basically. Not, it wasn't his only argument, but one of his arguments was, well, if, if Spurgeon did it this way, we should too. Well, I, Spurgeon had a great ministry, you know, but is that, is that, I don't know, you know, but if that's the leadership and that's the leadership they're modeled after and, and we're a, this type, we're a MacArthur church or we're a Warren church or we're a this church and that's what the leadership has made the church to be. 
Um, and, and a lot of these, what it really comes down to is it comes down to pragmatics, right? What works best, right? What works best? And, 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 and I want to be careful because can, we can ding people for that. I think that a lot of times that question is asked with a real good heart. You know, I, I, I've, met, I've met pastors and I've talked with pastors and I, I know churches and, and, and they, they, they really have a good heart when they ask that question of, we're going to do what works best when it comes to the church. And what they're thinking is, we want to minister to the group and the culture that God has given us. And that's not a bad heart, right? It's not a bad heart to say, here's the people in our church and here's the people in our community. And we want to be sensitive to the people that God has providentially given us. I think that's a good heart from that. But you're going to notice, though, in all these decisions, we talk about life and doctrine and worship and governments. What's missing from all these things about how we should decide about uh, the decision-making of the church? What the Bible says. Right there. Yeah. And this is why I wanted to start. I wanted to jump in and go, I wanted to start with my sermon last week and say, let's talk about that. Any questions and move on from there. Go a little bit deeper about what is a church. But, but what's, what, what I'm doing then is, is, is that I'm starting to, to undercut maybe the, the foundational reason of how do we start to think through these things, right? And so I want to start real simple. And for some of you, are like, do we need to spend a whole Sunday school on this? Maybe not. I don't know, but we are. This is a football. That's right. And, and, and really, the, before we start to talk about church, because we can, we can argue till we're blue in the face about should we be Presbyterian or Episcopal or Congregation or Free, or we can, you know, and, and there's a, a lot of, of arguments that are there. But if, 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 if the foundation comes from, do we believe that God, that Scripture is sufficient? Is it sufficient to direct us of what we're to do as the church? Now, that's not to say that there are not differences. That's not to say that there's not sometimes there are some, diff, some, some, some wisdom decisions in, involved, that there's not even some creativity involved. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that are there, is scripture sufficient so that the basic things of what do we do together and what does it look like to be together and what is the structure? Does God in his word, is that sufficient? And I'm going to tip my hand. I'm going to argue for this whole unit as we talk about the church that God's word is, is sufficient to, to tell us what does it mean to be the church and what does it mean uh, uh, that what our purpose is for and what does it mean of what we're supposed to do, that God's word really is sufficient. And so what I want to do this morning is I'm not going to flush out all these arguments over the, the next several months or how long we take for this unit. We'll start to fl- we'll look at these arguments. We'll look about what gathering. We'll look about different structures and we'll look about, you know, different, um, you know, this kind of goes with structures, right, of, of authority. We'll, we'll look at those things. We'll talk about those things. And we'll talk about other things of baptism and communion and, and membership and church discipline and all these sort of things that there's a lot of views on. But I think the question we should always be asking is, what does God's word say? And that's what I want to do as well. I want to get back to that of what does God's word say, even when it'll challenge my experience and my tradition and even sometimes of what I want to do as a leader, right? Of, of what we come back to, what does God's word say? And is it, I want to establish today of really showing that, that God's word is sufficient for when we think about what to do as a church. Um, so let's look here. Let's look just some basic things. Uh, look at Romans 10.
So the point here is scripture is sufficient to answer questions about the nature and work of God's church. So we see that, that, that the, the very beginning, the church is made, as we're going to talk about next week, of people. We talked about last week as well. We'll hammer that in. The church is people. It's, 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 it's this gathering of people. That it's, it's, but as, as, a, as a good brother uh, pointed out after my sermon last week, I, 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 I probably should have added a word. It's a, it's, it's a, a, a gathered group of regenerate people, right? It's not just a group of people that's gathered together. It's a group of people that God has given new creation life to. Right? And so that's what we see. Is that, so first of all, we see that God's word is what gives us this life that brings us into the church. So uh, Romans 10. <clears throat> Again, nothing that you haven't heard before, but we'll read it because it's important. Uh, starting in verse 14. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who have they not heard, never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And here's the point here. So faith comes through from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So how does, how does this conversion, how does this, this, this happen, this work of new life, this new creation? It's by hearing the word of God, by hearing the gospel. So the gospel through the word of God is what brings this new life, which then not only creates the Christian life, but then God also not only creates that new life in us that makes us part of the church, he also sustains, he directs that new life. He, he tells us what it means to, what, what does that new life look like? How do we live this new life? And again, nothing new to you guys, but turn over and look at 2 Timothy. Thank you, Sherry, for reminding me. This is a football, right? We're, we're starting from the very beginning. So 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That, that's a purpose clause, right? The, the, those, those, link, those, little, those little linking words, right? That, so that, or therefore if it's there, or those sort of things. But that, so that, the purpose that, What's the purpose for scripture? It does all these things for the purpose of that the man of God may be complete. Someone have a different version? Uh, what is that? Thoroughly equipped. Thoroughly equipped. Okay. Uh, what, I think some people have adequate maybe if you have a, is it NASB? Is that what? Okay. Okay. Yeah. So maybe complete, maybe adequate, equipped for every good work. So we see that God not only saves us initially by giving us new life through his word, but his word then says everything that you need to do that's a good work as a Christian is being going to come from being equipped from the word of God. And so there's no linking word here, but remember that this is not a, there were no chapter divisions in this original letter to Timothy, Paul's son in the faith. So you look at, he goes right on. That because the word is so important, because the word is what gives life and the word is what directs our lives as a Christian, what's, what's Timothy's job? I charge you in the presence of God and in Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. That, that, that's why that, that, that the word is so important. That's why Timothy's job to preach the word is so important is because that is what's going to give us what we need for the Christian life. 
including in the church. I mean, if you look at it, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, they are, they are typically called the pastoral epistles. Why? He's training his disciples, Timothy and, Paul, Timothy and Titus, to be pastors of these churches, kind of missionary pastors, but to really set these churches in place. So in the middle of these pastoral epistles, you see these, this charge of here's the, why the word is important and we think through the word. Um, um, our, our practice as Christians is always to seek God's will and his word, right? That's what we want to do, Right? What is God's will? We need to, to look at what God has already said, right? And so we, there, there are certain commands that God has given or there are certain principles that we reason from, but that's what we look at all of our life, right? I mean, all of our life, we're saying, how do we live what God has said in his word? And, and I, just, I just don't understand why you would say, yes, all of life, we're going to live what God has said in his word, but when it comes to the church, we're going to do something different. I just... I, and I say that because I, I, I've read those kind of arguments, right? Well, God's just not as clear there, so we just kind of have to figure that one out. Listen, God, God has not told us everything about everything, right? God has not said, you know, um, the, uh, the church should have blue carpeting or thou must have pews, 11th commandment, right? So he hasn't said everything about everything, but he has, he has addressed everything as a whole, right? He has everything we need is a good work is going to be coming from, we need to start with scripture. Not based on tradition, not based on experience, not based on tra- uh, pragmatics, but based first uh, on God's word. Um, and so quest- questions before we move on? Does that make sense what I'm, I'm arguing here? Yeah. Yeah, because it, it's awesome. Something so important is the, the elements, the sacrament. The, the, it says often. Not every week, not every day. Yes. Not every month. Yes, good not, point. Not twice a year. Yes. I think that, that, that um, coming when it comes to uh, communion is perfect. There is no direct command about how often, but it does says that we are to do this regularly. Um, and so is that every week? Is that every, every month? Is it, 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 there are some different questions. Now, so important. Yes. But there's also a thing that you also look in Corinthians, we'll look at, is that, um, and that's why some churches will struggle, is saying you're also commanded that, that, that you're to wait until the whole body is together. Right, you're to wait until that the whole gathering is together. That's what the Corinth, the Corinthians. The problem is they weren't waiting, that they were doing in select groups. That there was a a division within the church, and the communion was a family meal where the whole family is together. And so you look at some churches, and they that, that's difficult, especially uh, like mul- multiple service churches, where if you if they're trying to obey that, then they have to do like a special Sunday evening and have to arrange things. And you know, if you're really trying to obey God's command, so there's some different. So they maybe do it quarterly. But they, you know, there's different things to take. But there's, again, God has said things in his word that we need to consider first, right? Then you start looking at, then you can start looking at some other questions, right? Same thing I would say with the worship service. We're going to look at it in a little bit. But when we talk about the worship service, there are certain things God has said, this is what worship is. And, and we want to be careful that we're, we're starting, we're structuring it on that, Right now, there there are some there's some um, God does not say you know sing three hymns and two modern songs right, but but there are some principles that we want to look at there that we're making sure that we are we're grounded in first yeah yeah this is fascinating because every year I, I start reading through the scripture and I'm now in Lamentations yeah and it, it goes into exact detail yeah of how the tabernacle oh Leviticus yeah yeah oh yeah what it's made of. 
fascinating yeah. the, the difference, the contrast. Between yeah, them. we'll we'll look at a little bit in a little bit, but later. But God, <laughs> God definitely is not a pragmatics guy when it comes yeah, to his worship. I'm so glad I don't live during that. Yeah. Well, you even look at New Testament. You look at the Corinthians, and God is basically saying, "I don't accept this." Yeah. Right, you're. This is false. What you're doing. So there is there is the possibility um, of our worship, even from the right heart. Right. I mean, God takes. God says it's when it comes to the worship of God. It's not about what works best for you, right? That there are certain things that He is 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 directed for when it comes to worship. And so yeah, um, yeah. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. I mean, I know that's not specifically talking about the church, but I yeah. think the principle is important there. And and you know, finding out is 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 the, who's the church for, mm-hmm. and uh, thinking about uh, we'll say controversy around um, the Sabbath and how that became such mm-hmm. a lightning rod, and how much so much was attached to it. Say that there seems to be similarities there with with the church. And, mm-hmm. I can see where when we focus on the church and worship that it isn't a, a kind of, uh, uh, we have a lot of liberty there. Mm-hmm. Maybe, and it's more the church for God in that case, where if the church is for, uh, say, ministry, we're looking at mm-hmm. it from a ministry perspective, mm-hmm. maybe it can be a lot more. Yeah, I, I think that, um, I think there's two things there. I mean, I think one is, <clears throat> you know, when you look at Sabbath issues, and, and, and we'll take a look, we'll hopefully take a look at some things with Sabbath and Lord's Day and, and some things there. But you're also looking at, at context of what is the Sabbath representing there, right? And in first century, uh, you know, you look at three things. You know, you look at it, kind of that first century literature for Jews and what does it mean to be a Jew, right? It, what does it mean to be a Jew in the first century? Does it mean you, you kept the food laws, you were circumcised, and you keep the Sabbath? Those were defining. Those, those were kind of identity markers, of this is this is my identity is because I do these things, and I think that that there is a shift, right? That our identity is not in I do these things. Our identity is in Christ, right? So there, there's some shifts, and that's what you you see. I think Galatians tackles and there's some things. So I think that there's some broader issues, and you you pointed that out there. That there's not a, a direct parallels, and I would agree with you too that I would say, and, and Lee brought this up. There is there is some freedom. There is some freedom of in the sense of God is not said everything about everything, right? That God has not given us a church constitution, right? That's not what scripture is. And so that there are some decisions that there are, yeah, that there are some free, that, 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 that are, there's some freedom to make that whether it's, it is pragmatics or whether it comes to some, some um, you know, uh, different cultures and different things. I would say, yeah, right? That there's, but I would say that, that I think those, are, those questions must be secondary, right? Those have to, should be the second questions we ask, not the first question, but the first question we ask is, what has God said in the, his word? I mean, I think communion is a perfect one. You know, of, there are certain things God has said that communion is supposed to be in his word, right? So you say that it should be regularly and that, that we are supposed to do certain things in remembrance, that we're supposed to, to, to check our hearts, you know, and, and, and or that we're supposed to be gathered as, as God's people together. I mean, there's certain things God's directed very clearly, especially in 1 Corinthians. Now, then there's secondary questions of, do you have music? Do you not have music? You know, um, do you have a piano? Do you have a band? Do you have words? Do you not have words? You know, there's some questions there. Do you uh, do you take um, the the bread and the cup together, 
right? Do you do bread cup? You know, everyone kind of does bread cup together, you know, or do you do them separate like we do? I know that there's one church, uh, that one of my pastors, that he does the bread and everyone does the bread. And it's kind of like this picture of, you know, that there's an individual aspect of Christianity. So when everyone takes the bread and they kind of eat it when they want to, but then everyone takes the cup together to remind that there's a, a corporate nature of Christianity. Um, again, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that because I think that, I don't think that's, that's necessarily, um, that's neither one is, is, uh, is set. Jesus didn't say, well, you know, take the bread. To get, you know, he didn't say, right? So I think that there, that, but I think those are secondary questions. Those, I guess my point here is that I think that there's more than people sometimes give credit for on the primary question of what God has said, what has God said in his word. That instead of, because usually people just jump to, um, well, we're Presbyterian. This is what we do, right? We're, we're a free church. This is what we do. And, 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 and said, or this is my experience of it, instead of saying, first, what does God say in his word? And then, where are the, and there is a, I'd say that once you have that, I'd say, that, yes, there are vast areas of freedom, right? What should a pastor wear, right? I guess thinking so much of that there's necessarily liberty there, but what is, what is the purpose of church? Yeah. You know, in that sense, here you're saying, you know, Sabbath was for the man. Yeah. You're answering it with that. Yeah. Principle. And yes. The same question is there for the I, I think that yeah, you have to look at that, and I think that looking at purpose too. I think that, but that, that's what we'll get. I want to look at what what is. I think being more for the purpose of the church, you have to start asking what is a church, yeah. right? What is a church, and then yeah, yes, what is the purpose of the church, and and that 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 uh, affects some of those those directions as well. Yeah. Yeah. There's a really great example in Isaiah 58 of mm-hmm. of the principle behind one of the things like fasting, mm-hmm. and it's not the act of just holding back something. Yeah. It's what's behind it. Yeah. And it's fascinating to read that. Yeah. 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 Because it shows that there's some substance behind the reason for it. Yeah. 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 So I, and so I think that, and that's what, uh, you know, I, I think that I think those are good questions, and I'm not trying to push back against it. I'm not trying to say that God has told us every single little thing we're supposed to do as a church, right? But I am saying that, man, I, I want to make sure we get that that primary question first. And so, um, so, you know, let's look at a couple simple ones. These, these I, I think that most people would agree, you know, the fact of what, what should churches do, right? What should churches do? I think it's, I, I, you know, turn to Matthew 20, uh, 29, 28. Come on now. Yeah, you know what? The EV Free Expanded Edition here. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's just me typing too quickly. Um, so Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Uh, um, we, we preached on this, I preached on this recently, but um, Jesus' last words in Matthew, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go there, therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So in its immediate context, the commission is directed to who? Yes, you're, you're jumping there. I'm going to be there. We're going to be there. But it was first directed to who? The disciples. But Kathy's right. It's not just the disciples. And what's our key in the text? What's our key in the text? It's not just the disciples. That this goes beyond their lifetime. Yes, end of the age, right? Disciples aren't here. They're not going to be around to the end of the age. If Jesus is talking about this, here's this commission and my presence will be with you to fulfill this commission to the end of the age, disciples weren't going to be there to the end of the age. So that there's a, that, that's why the church has believed 
almost always from the beginning, that this is a continuing commission and instruction for the church, that, that God has... Now, whether this is the end-all, be-all, and I would say, I would disagree with that. I would say that this is, that this is flushed out throughout the rest of the New Testament. What does it look like to make disciples? I think you need Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, right? Thessalonians, the, the pastorals, the general epistles. You, you need those to help kind of give some, some breath to this. Um, but you do see that Jesus isn't just going, all right, go figure it out, right? That, that there's a, there is direction. There is purpose, you know, as, as Harlan was saying. There is the purpose that God's giving us of what we're to do um, that, that, that is continuing beyond the disciples, right? And, and at the very base, we should say, it involves making disciples, going and making disciples by evangelism and conversion, which is baptism, and by edification, of teaching to obey. So I think if you look broadly, you could say outreach, inreach. And there's a lot that goes in that, right? But outreach, inreach, right? That's what Jesus is saying, that you wanna, you're, gonna, you're gonna reach people with the gospel to bring them into the family of God through baptism, and then you're gonna train them up with, with edification um, and, and through teaching the, them to obey. And then we see, and I'm not going to read all these, but Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. That's why I said that, you know, Colossians, and it's interesting, Colossians is supposed to then take their letter to someone else to read, the Laodiceans. I think it was Laodiceans. And we see that these, these New Testament letters are written to who? The church, to local churches, that, that, that local churches needed direction of how to do what God has called us to do. So it's the same thing with the rest of life, that, that, that whether by command or example or, or principles, God's word answers that question, what should churches do? We can find the, 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 the foundational answers of that in the Bible. We need to start there. Uh, again, there's usually not a lot of argument on that one. Uh, secondary, what should churches believe? Again, there's not a lot of arguments on this one as well. Um, in fact, because of that, I'm just going to, we're not going to turn there, but 1 Corinthians 15 talks about the gospel. What should a church believe? You're telling us. This is what's been passed on. This is what Jesus said. This is the gospel. You know, Christ died for our sins according to Scripture. He was buried according to Scripture. He was raised on the third day according to Scripture and appeared to, to many witnesses according to Scripture. So very, the, the gospel we believe. But it's not just the gospel. We see that, that, that all of Revelation is now given to us through Jesus Christ, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, in these last days. So whether they are explicit doctrines like, like, you know, the, what Jesus has done in his substitutionary atonement for us, or their implicit doctrines, like, like you know, things of, of church membership, which we'll talk about, is that when we come to what should churches believe, our answer should be what, what the Bible says. Again, I don't, you, there's usually, maybe there's some, dis, some arguments about what some of those doctrines, we've talked through those, but there's usually not a lot of disagreement of a church should believe what's in the Bible. That's usually not a lot of, there's not a lot of pushback usually. The differences here are in the next two questions. The next two questions. How should churches worship? How should churches worship? Look at, look at Hebrews. We're not going to go into all the, the issues of, of differences in worship. I just want to show you some foundational things of, that God is trying to direct in, as, as, fa, as, fa, as far as worship. <clears throat> Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. So where the author of Hebrews says, and let us consider how to stir one another up towards love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
So we start to see, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but we start to see this idea of a church is not just all of us individually, but a church is when we are gathered together. It's, it's, it's not just a bunch of people individually who believe the same gospel. It's these people that have then been gathered together and are assembled. The church is not individual peoples, but assembled people. That was my point in my sermon last week. And, and, and we see that again here. It's this assembled people. And, 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 and just not to jump too far ahead, but you notice that there is a distinctly known assembled people. It was recognized that, you know what? Vic's supposed to be here, but he's not. Right? Did you notice that? Is, is it as, as is the habit of some? Right? That, there is, that, that he's writing, as we talked about Hebrew, before, Hebrews is a distinct sermon. It's written to a congregation. We don't know which one, but it's, it's a series of sermons. It was written specifically, and, 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 and that it was, you know, and it, or it's written specifically. It's talking about these ideas of, as of the habit of some, that means that those some that aren't there anymore, are, they're supposed to be there. What does, that, what does that mean that they're supposed to be there? They had committed. They committed in a way that they were known that this is my church. Again, the word membership's not there, but the implicit idea of membership is there. Can we use that in our church what? That Hebrews ten. I don't remember. I don't know if we do or not. Uh-huh. Um, I, mean, I mean, it's good because people say, "Why do I be?" Yes. You know, There's a bunch of verses. I would say First uh, Corinthians is a little bit stronger. When I preach on it, I think I'm going to go to First Corinthians because it talks about insiders and outsiders of the church. Right. That there is a distinct line of those who have declared themselves inside the church and those outside the church, and so that there's some sort of line. And and um, and I, my my kind of joke is always we could call it church insiders. Do you want to be an insider? But it doesn't sound as I, I just don't like the name of that as much as membership. It's maybe more biblical. It might be more biblical to call it the insider class. Mm-hmm. But maybe that's where we want to be a little more sensitive to our context and our culture, right? Um, and so, but, but there is this idea here, but we're, this idea is that we're supposed to gather. And, 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 and we're gathering to encourage one another. And we obviously throughout that there's also a gathering to worship. But then as we start to think about what does it mean to worship God? And this is what we said earlier. Turn to Mark chapter 7. And, and Vic is... Vic hit on this um, earlier. And, and this is something that, man, that, that routinely I pray before our worship practices that, that we would not be like this. But it's amazing what Jesus says. And he, Jesus says to the Pharisees, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written, The people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. That there is, there is a type of worship that's in vain. And, 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 and you know, that's a prayer. My prayer is, is I, I um, are one of the people responsible here and like this morning can be leading in, in worship through song. That, 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 that it would not be a worship in vain. Right? That we think we're doing it, we're putting our effort in, we think we're doing right before God, and it's empty, it's worthless, it's vanity, vanity. Um, and, 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 and here, it's interesting, the argument right, is because it's the internal. Right? There's an internal uh, disconnect with the heart. So it's not even just about structure, right? it's about heart. But, but what is that heart? We see from the very beginning of the Cain and Abel, that heart is about desiring to worship God, God's way. That's the difference between Cain and Abel, Right? Abel brought the, the sacrifices as God had directed, and Abel said, I'm going to do what I want, or Cain said, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to come to God how I want to come to God. 
and, and, and we want to be, we want to take seriously that we're not just coming to God how we want to come to God. We don't want to come to God just because, well, this is what the traditions of men say how God should, we should come to him, but we want to come to God as God has directed. I mean, throughout the history of, of Israel, you look at, at the, uh, um, the golden calf episode, right? They were sincerely trying to worship Yahweh. You guys ever read that? It's not they're saying, oh, forget Yahweh. We're going to go over here to the Baals. That's what the, no. They're saying, this is the Yahweh that brought us out of Egypt, right? That, that golden calf. But, but it, was, it, was, it was not how God is to be worshiped. Uh, Adab and Abihu, uh, uh, Uzziah, and then even as we see in the New Testament, the Corinthians, desiring to, to worship, but God takes very seriously that we would worship as God has directed. They were sincere, but, but not as God directed. Um, you know, it's, it's, that's, that's the difference between true gods and false gods, right? When it comes to false gods, they're mute. So because they, they don't talk, because they, they, don't, they, don't, they haven't re- revealed the, the truth, you can kind of come any way you want to. You can kind of make it up. And sometimes it's kind of bizarre the way people make it up. Right, Lee? Right, Kathy? Thinking, yeah. yeah. Um, if not, you should read Lee's book on the temple, um, in, in, or the Mormon temple, not the, the, the biblical temple. You know, it's just, just, just how people can just say, well, we're just going to kind of figure it, we're just going to do it this way. Um, when we lived over in India, it's very handy. It's polytheistic and there's yeah. a God for everything. Yep. You basically, you pick the God for whatever, you know, whatever business you have, there's a God for it. Yeah. And it's all basically just so you can have whatever God that meets you, your criteria. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of sad. Yeah. But we have a God who's not mute. We have a God who has spoken and who has revealed himself and revealed who he is and revealed how he is to be worshipped. And, and, and we have his revelation that was recorded and preserved in the word of God, right? And so we want scripture to be our guide. Again, the, the, not that there's, there's things that, that within that, right? Of, of, well, what song should we choose? Or what scripture should we choose? Or there's some things that, that even within that, do we have pews or not? I mean, there's, there's some questions, but we want to start with the essentials of that the, the, the Bible would be our guide of what we do. So we want to, we want to read the Bible, we want to sing the Bible. We want to preach the Bible. We want to pray the Bible. We want to see the Bible. That's what we do when we take communion and we baptize. We are seeing physically. And, and, and for those, those tactile learners like my wife, right? That, that's God just saying like, it's not just you're just not hearing anymore. You are literally seeing and touching what the Bible is saying and, 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 and what the, um, you know, when it comes to baptism, when it comes to the Lord's Supper, and so, I mean, and, and, and so I think we want to start, we want to start with what does the Bible say? And I think that's what we, we're trying to do here. We're trying to do that in, in our church worship service. And so we want to sing hymns and psalms and songs because we are commanded to. Romans 15, Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, James 5, right? That we're, we're commanded to sing. We're commanded to sing these, these songs to the Lord. And, and I think it's Ephesians, either Ephesians or Colossians, and also to one another, we're supposed to, that's Hebrews 10, we're supposed to encourage one another by our singing, right? We're supposed to encourage and, and, and sing these things because there are times, right? There are times when you come to church and you don't feel like it is well with my soul. Really? Right? <laughs> right? Can, can we be honest? There are Sundays and you're here or there's Sundays that you should be here and, and it's just because it is not well with your soul. It's not, it's just hard to say that. And, and, and you need to, and you need people to, to be singing that to you, to remind you that it is, and it's good, and the Lord is good all the time, and all the time the, Lord, the, the God is good, right? <clears throat> and we need these times, and, and I love, and I've said this before, 
I, I, love, I love being on stage to help lead music. Not because I get to be on stage to, in the sense of being in front and I get to lead, but because I love seeing people worship. And I love seeing people worship. There's one of the pastors here that I know are just not having a great time in the sense of life. That, that they are through, that, that the storms are buffeting, right? And trials are coming. And they're singing it as well with my soul. And that's, what a reminder. We need that, right? We need those reminders of, of, of that we're singing to God and we're reminding our, we're reminding our own souls, reminding each other's souls that, that the Lord is good and it is well with my soul. Um, that we, we, we read God's word to one another. That's what we're called to do in 1 Timothy 4. That's what we're commanded, that there's a blessing that comes of reading God's word in Revelation 1. We, we pray... We pray in praise, Hebrews 13. We pray to confess our sins, 1 John 1. We pray in intercessions, James 5 and Ephesians 6. We give financially as God has instructed, Galatians 6, and is exemplified in 1 Corinthians 16. We attend to the preaching as God commanded, 2 Timothy 4. We baptize as God commanded. We celebrate the Lord's uh, Supper as he commanded. We want to start with those things, right? And and that's what we want to... So God has revealed a lot about what we're supposed to do when we worship. Now, there's other things we need to, that are more difficult we, we can flush out, we'll talk about. But we do want to start with the, the principle of God is not silent about what it looks like to worship him. Um, and then the last one, uh, how should the church be organized? Turn to Titus real quick and we'll, we'll end there. <clears throat> We're going to look more at, next week at this. Um, but there's a principle here in Titus and also Colossians that's important. <clears throat> So Titus was put in this church uh, in, in um, it's, it's blanking me now, a little island, uh, Crete. Uh, he's put in this church for a purpose. First, Titus 1.5. That is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So here's the deal. There is a church, if, if, if Titus is supposed to put it in order, what does it mean? What is the church before he's put it in order? It's what? It's disordered. Is it still a church? Yes. That's what he calls it, right? He calls it a church. It's still a church. It's still a true church, but it's disordered. It's disordered according to what? Well, according to what what he's about to reveal here in in Titus in God's word. So we're going to talk next week about the difference between a true church and a false church, right? Is the church a church or is the church just claiming to be a church? And, and, and we're going to see the true church is based on the gospel. Does it, does it have the right gospel, right gospel declaration, the right gospel people? Then it's a church, right? Now, within those true churches, there's a difference that scripture lays out between an ordered church and a disordered church. Is it ordered according to scripture or is it disordered according to scripture? So you, if you have a church with no elders, is it a church? Yeah, yeah right here. There's no elders. There's no elders in the church of Crete. Not even one. You don't even got a pastor. It's still a church because it has the right gospel. They're assembled in the name of Jesus Christ with the right gospel, the right people of the gospel. There's some things that make it a church, the true church, but it's disordered. Paul's saying in order to be ordered, it needs elders. And that's, that's, what, that's what, what Titus is there to do. And so when we start to think about these things of, of structure and decisions, there are certain things that not necessarily make another church a false church, but there are certain ways that God has directed that the church should be ordered. So when we think about issues like um, organization of a church and authority of a church and offices of a church and gender roles in the church, it's not to say that those are false churches. If they, but we, we want to we say, 
God has given certain, give certain order. Titus and 1 Timothy are very, very clear. And we want to see, uh, that, that we see that, that God has given answers of how the church should be organized in Scripture. So that's the premise. It's a very simple one today, right? This is a football. And thank you, Sherry, for reminding me of that. Yes. Is that we want to start with the first question of not, not what should the church be by logic or tradition or experience or pragmatics, but we want to first start with what has God said in his word, right? And that's what we're going to try to do. We're going to try to evaluate these decisions on what has God said in his word. Uh, and, then there, and, then, and beyond that, there's a, there is freedom, but we want to start there. Um, and, and, and there's some areas that it should confirm and say, yes, this is what we're trying to be as a church. There might be some other areas going, man, you know, it's just, why do we do that? It's because I guess because we've always done that, but God has said differently. So why is that? And so it should be, be thinking of that. And, and, and we want to, one last thing on this. These are not open hand, closed handed issues. That's why, uh, you know, Judy, who's, who's sometimes here, sometimes, you know, we've talked about that in the sense of not everything's an open hand, closed handed issue. Some, you know, it's not everything's black and white, right? There's nuances, I like the, the idea of more of levels of triage, right? There's different levels of triage, right? You go into the emergency room, and if you have a giant, open, gushing head wound, that's like, you know, pretty high up. Is that, I guess that's high up there, Dave? It's gushing, that's high up there. High up there, gushing. There you go, right? This is like life, life or death issue. I'm Ryan, our EMT here, right? That's a life or death issue. There are certain, you could say close hand, there are certain issues that are life or death issues, true or false church issues. There are other issues that are just so, I mean, you go in, in, in the emergency room, Dave, have you, I mean, if you get called and someone has, you know, a cut on their finger, right? You take them to the emergency room, they're probably waiting for a long time, yeah. right? And they're, they're, those are so trivial that even within a ch- local church that you can't, you know, it's like you can disagree because they're just, they're, they're, they're fairly trivial d- distinctions. And then there's, I think there's some, a, a lot of area in the middle, right? And these are issues that aren't close-handed, they're not life and death, but they're not trivial, because it, 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 it really defines of what do we do as a church. And there's certain things that if we're going to function in unity as a church, we have to agree on some certain things, right? And so we have to think through those sort of things. And they're, they are important, but they're not, they're just, it's, more, it's more nuanced than, than, than life or death, more different nuanced than, than, than um, open hand, close hand. And so our prayer, my prayer is that when we go through this, is let's, let's just be praying, how do we be the church that God has called us to be? That's why we're going through the sermon series. I think that I'm not a big fan of topical sermons because I don't like preaching them. It's harder for me to say, I have to figure out everything the Bible says about this instead of just going through, here's what this text says. But I think it's good for our church that we just start with these basics and say, let's be the church that God's called us to be. How do we excel still more as his church? So let me pray for us. Father, we thank you. Thank you for this time. And we do pray. Help us to be the church of God, the people of God that you've called us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.